day is better with you than all the world. Oh, spirit alive, help me remember that it is my pleasure to say to you that all I am, my life defined by I've been crucified with Christ, the life I live, I live by faith in Jesus Christ who lives in me. flesh is failing the spirit is willing to point me back to you for to live is Christ and to die is better help me remember my song to you is all I am my life defined by I've been crucified with Christ the life broken for me remember his approval he gave his life to say so remember his appealing my Lord is interceding remember you have breath to breathe it out and praise him and all I am my life defined by I've been crucified with Christ the life I live I live by faith in Jesus Christ And all I am, my life defined by I've been crucified with Christ. The life I live, I live by faith in Jesus Christ who lives in me. Good morning. So I'm going to invite you all to stand and uh, do our response reading, call to worship with us this morning. It should be up on the screen. If it's in green, it's on you. <laughs> so here we go. God's reach is endless. God's grace is lavish. 
God's wisdom is vast. God's presence is here. Breathe easy. Breathe deeply. Let us worship the one who welcomes us home. Good morning, church. Yes, good morning, church. This is our time. This is our time where we uh, take a minute out of our week and thank God for what he's done for us. So um, I know there's somebody right next to me that has a, a testimony, a little, a little something that uh, she's thankful for. But if I could just, if, if you can think about, if you could just think about uh, something they might want to say to the church, that'd be great. So Jacqueline. I just want to thank God that warmer weather is coming. I am through with the snow. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so, that, so that is good. Is anyone else, um, is there anyone else that has a testimony? Oh, Dan, you want to come on? Or, so they can see you. Jacqueline, you can go sit down. Hi, I'm Dan Buttry, and uh, we had a really awful week. Um, some of, most of you know that uh, our daughter-in-law, Kara, uh, passed away on Saturday morning. That's uh, Lily's mom. Lily comes here to Sunday school, and um, uh, it's just been really, really hard. Um, but um, in the midst of all this, uh, God has showed up in some amazing ways, and I want to Thank the Lord for that. Uh, some of it is from you all, many uh, acts of love and support that have come our way. We are immensely thankful for that and the prayers. Um, but a couple surprises. Uh, we, we, Kara died on Saturday morning in the wee hours. And then um, uh, Sunday, Chris and Lily got in a car accident. Chris's 2003 Lincoln was totaled and uh, long story. But God sent an angel in the midst of that. Uh, this, it happened, car accident happened right in front of a laundromat, and the woman at the laundromat came rushing out, pulled Lily out of the car, and took care of her while Chris was dealing with the police. And we got to meet her, we came over, and you know, and she was just this amazing woman. And, uh, and uh, it was just so neat that God had somebody there for Lily in that moment. And within 24 hours, Chris got another 2003 Lincoln. So, <laughs> so I mean, there's it, it, a little surprises here and there. But, um, you know, not a lot of money in that family. And uh, one of my high school classmates, who I hadn't seen since graduation until we had our 45th anniversary reunion, and she lives in Arizona, she sent us enough money to cover the funeral expenses. Can you believe that? God is so good, you know, these angels that show up in unexpected ways. And, and um, so we'd appreciate your continued prayers, but uh, we're seeing God's uh, rays of grace shine through the, the clouds right now. Thank you. And thank you for sharing. And I just, uh, church, if we could all stand just quickly and just pray over these guys and just uh, thank God that he is our comforter and our support. So please uh, 
just pray over them. If you want to extend a hand over these guys. Father, we just lift up Dan and Sharon and the family. Lord, and we ask that you would continue to be with them, right next to them, walking through this, that you'd be the comforter that you are, and that they would just cry out to, to you in their times of need, and that you would be there, Lord. Mm. And that uh, our whole church family would surround them and just support them in this time. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay. Right. Is there anyone else online or anything? All right. Thank you. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Good morning, church. Um, <clears throat> so my seven-year-old uh, this week, we were getting ready to leave for school, and he found one of our little communion cups in my car, which meant that my car has not been cleaned out in probably a year and a half. Um, and he found it and he was like, mom, I learned about this in the tree house. And I was like, yeah, what is it, buddy? He's like, well, this is the bones and guts of Jesus and this is his blood. And I'm like, well, it's a symbol, buddy. It's a symbolic thing. He's like, okay. He's like, but why do we do it? And he's very into, um, he likes the word sacrifice in like a, a show or something. If someone dies for someone else, he's very fascinated by it. He's like, why? And I said, buddy, well, Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice and died for you. And he was like, why would he do that? That's, that's scary. And I was like, well, because he loves you so much. And he's like, oh, he's like, Captain Underpants wouldn't do that. And I was like, nobody, but Jesus would, and that's how much he loves you. So I just praise God for his sweet little heart and our treehouse teachers who are instilling this beautiful message in our kids. So. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. That's a good way to close here. Here comes Bo running up. Yesterday was the first day in eight days that no one got sick in my family. Oh. Since last Friday, so damn thing's been hard. It's like, oh my gosh, it's been so hard. I bought new sheets, new dust covers for the beds, and new underwear. I won't tell you for who in the family, but that just tells you what kind of trauma we went through. And uh, Jericho's in the hospital for a number of days. But in the midst of all of this, you know, people loving us and, and supporting us. And Jenna and Nate dropped off a little care thing of saltines and stuff when you just can't eat anything. And so, oh, thank you for your love. Thank you for your prayers. And for anyone who goes through any kind of extended sickness, may God have mercy. All right? May God have mercy to those who are struggling. So thank you. We're going to invite you all to stand and worship with us again here. Um, unless, unless you're living under a rock, which none of us are because we're all here this morning, there is so much going on in the world right now, uh, so much hate, so much anger, so much destruction. And in the midst of that, there's just unwavering support of people rallying around and showing signs of unity. 
and we felt it necessary to just do what we can and, and raise a hallelujah up in the world today. So feel free to sing with us. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah my weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah Heaven comes to fight for me. I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated, the king is alive. I raise a hallelujah with everything inside of me. I raise a hallelujah. I will watch the darkness flee. I raise a hallelujah. In the middle of the mystery, I raise a hallelujah. Fear you lost your hold on me. I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar. In the presence of my enemies. 
middle of the storm Louder and louder You're gonna hear my praises roar Up from the ashes Hope will arise Death is defeated The king is alive I raise a hallelujah I raise a hallelujah I raise a hallelujah I raise a Good morning. I uh, hope everyone can hear me. I'll be doing the call to confession. If you ask any parent with a teenager what it's like to wait up for their child to meet curfew, they will tell you they're standing at the door. The porch light is on. No one can sleep until that child is home safe. Friends, I think God is like that for us. The porch light is on, the door is unlocked. We might be late for curfew, but God is just so glad we're home. So let us pray the prayer of confession together, trusting that no matter what we do or what we leave undone, the porch light is always on. Let us pray. The prodigal son isn't given a name but we know his name. It sounds like ours. And we know his story. It sounds like ours. For who among us hasn't burned a bridge? Who among us hasn't forgotten that we belong to one another? Who among us has not ached for home? The prodigal son isn't given a name, but we know his name. Forgive us, God. We want to come home. And now the words of forgiveness. Family of faith, the word prodigal can be defined as wasteful or imprudent, hence the name prodigal son. However, prodigal can also be described as extravagant and excessive. Friends, we worship a prodigal God, a God who is extravagant in mercy and excessive in grace. For no matter how many times we run, no matter how far we go or how lost we get, God is standing at the end of the driveway waiting for us. The doors are open. The feast is for you. This grace is extravagant. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Morning. I wasn't sure if that was it. Sorry about that. Um, good morning, church. My name is Jerry Gaskell, and I have some announcements for you. But first, I want to welcome you to Genesis again. Uh, we're so glad that you have joined us this morning here in person and online. If you've signed up for text messages, you would have received one this morning around 10 o'clock. Um, please follow that link that you received and um, fill out the digital connection card to let us know that you were here with us this morning. If you did not receive that text, you can go to genesisthechurch.org and find the digital connection card there. If you'd like to submit a prayer request, you can do that either publicly or privately in that connection card there. We've been talking about the vision of Gen the, the church and uh, what we're calling the Genesis way and the three pillars that make up the Genesis way. One of those pillars is calling. Um, as a church, we want to help build up and encourage uh, people to find their calling through Christ. And with that, Genesis is looking to hire someone. So if you have skills in marketing or communication or social media um, and have been considering doing work connected to your calling, would you consider working with Genesis to do those things? Um, we're looking for an individual to help us reinvent our social media and communication platforms. If this is something you are skilled at and feel called to help in, um, reach out to Genesis, either following the service via, tech, uh, via email to chat. Sorry. Another one of those pillars that we have been talking about is belonging. We want you to, um, sorry, we want you to know that um, you not only belong to Christ, but you belong here at Genesis, and that this is a place, there is a place for you here. We're trying to create spaces and opportunities for you to be able to, to connect and to find your belonging here with other believers as part of a community throughout your neighborhood, um, working toward building the kingdom of God together. One of those spaces that we're creating is eating together after service, and we'll be doing that on Sunday, April 3rd, which is next Sunday after church. We'll do soup and salad again. Um, so bring your favorite or best super salad. We will continue to do this rhythm of eating after church every first Sunday of each month to create this space of belonging and to be around the, a table together. So the last one was awesome. Don't forget to join us after church next Sunday. We will also be doing baptisms this Easter. So there is no greater um, statement of belonging to God than in baptism. As we descend into the waters, we enter Jesus' death and burial, and as we are raised up out of the water, we enter into Jesus' new life. We are going to be baptizing on Easter Sunday, April 17th, so if you'd like more information or to sign up, um, you can find a physical uh, green connection card at the back of the sanctuary here, just outside the doors on the brown table, um, or you can respond to the text that you received this morning or put it in the prayer section of the digital connection card. And lastly, but certainly not least, is offering. Thank you to all of you that continue to call Genesis home and continue to give faithfully and abundantly. Your gifts continue to allow us to further the kingdom of God through our work here. There are many ways to give. You can give online in the brown box just outside of the door there in the back, or you can mail in a check. Lots of options, and we are so thankful for all of the ways that all of you continue to give. 
So let me play, pray real quickly over our offering. Lord God, thank you for all of those that continue to give faithfully. Lord, continue to bless our church and bless those that continue to support Genesis here and beyond our walls. We continue to use these gifts in your name, Lord. Let us lean on your, our faith in you and continue to build the kingdom of God through these gifts. Amen. Whew. All right, that was a lot. I'm done talking now. Um, <laughs> so if you just take a moment and say hello to the person next to you, we'll continue after that. Good morning again. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So if that was too short for you, I'm sorry. If that was short for you and you're glad, you're welcome. Great to be with you. First, I want to say thank you to Sharon. Sharon Buttrey yesterday in the course of this just heavy, heavy week, she came and served me and this community by equipping and teaching and she taught and she sat in we we were pulling in one of our calling events and is trying to release people into calling and we wanted to focus specifically uh, just out of saying oh more than half the church is women and we wanted to make sure that some of those lies and the ideas about women and calling and leadership would be addressed through the scriptures and through story and so Sharon thank you so much uh, Carmel came back and was just, this was the first time being in the church in three years physically. And she came back floored and uh, breathing fresh air. And, and I know reading Sharon's stuff, it was beautiful and powerful. Sharon is an incredible teacher and uh, an incredible pastor. And we, I am indebted to her for, for being here and being among us just to serve as her and Dan are retired, <laughs> but yet she serves faithfully. And so, so thank you. Know that of all that was said, 
we so, as a community, we long for the empowering and the releasing of all of God's children, men and women, into every sphere and corner of this world, into every area of leading as God directs and God calls. We see no limitation, and we want to continue to empower that, and we want to continue to allow the story and what we see here to actually represent that. And so as being a guy, I can sometimes be blind to what is seen. I just only see what I see, and I don't really see clearly. And so we long to release and to empower. And so Sharon, thank you for continuing to help us to take those steps as I begin to see more clearly some of our missteps and, and just blindness to that empowerment. And um, we long to open up more and more teaching and encouragement and space for us all. So we're indebted. Thank you. Sharon is going to, she's also encouraging me in a number of areas. She's going to be teaching in the first Sunday of May on restorative justice, restoration at the end of it. And I'm so excited for that as well. So thank you, God, for those who are here who love us. That's the gifts you've put into us all. So, all right, we're, we're in Lent, this period leading up to Easter, and the readings and the responsive readings give you some indication of what we're talking about today, the prodigal God. But here's my question for you. In your family, when you guys all get together, in that pocket of people, and maybe somebody has had a little too much to drink and as they get together, but what story, and when everybody's together, your brothers and sisters, your cousins, your parents, your grandparents, what story is told most often? Which is the story that if they're going to tell stories when everybody's together, this is the one that's told? What do you think? It, what is it? For me and my family, the story that is told when when we all get pulled together, that usually comes up again and again and again, was one that was probably nearly 40 years ago. I was going to Catholic school. We received these little donation boxes for the poor that you would put your change into and then take back to to, um, to our church in order to give the money to that. Uh, I don't know who came up with the idea. I'm gonna, we always claimed it was my neighbor boys who had like a casino in their home. They were like 10 and 11, two brothers. And they did have an active gambling underground crime syndicate going on out of their house. We became friends. And somehow the idea came up, let's go around the neighborhood, let's ask for money. And so uh, I have an older brother and a younger sister who were in the house at that time. My older brother did not partake, but we took my little sister, I think she was four. And so my four-year-old sister, myself, probably eight, and these other boys, 10 and 11, went to the neighbors, got the money, and then went to 7-Eleven and bought candy. So my brother ratted out our operation. The other boys just got told, don't do that again. But I had to go around to all of the neighbors and tell them what we did, and then ask how much they gave, and then give them my own money to repay them. And I got grounded in, in a spanking, right? That's the story that is told the most often in our house when we get together of that. Right? And you can kind of see, it's, it's humorous. Um, for the most part, it's harmless. And it's comical. But the story that is most told 
that is most repeated in the church at large, the story of Jesus that is taught on the most of any other text and any other story is this one that is called the prodigal son story. It's the one that is taught on most times in churches all over the world. And in some way, it captures this heart and, this, and the desires of God. And sometimes we're able to see it, and sometimes we're not. We're either too close to it, we've heard it too many times, and it loses it. But other times, we, we, we get to capture the essence. And so this morning, this is the story we want to look at. As a family. And tell it again. The one that Jesus told. And as Nasha was doing this reading about this word prodigal, and this story, um, not because the name was in there, but the story took on a name. This parable of Jesus took on a name, and the name that it took on was prodigal son, meaning the wasteful son. The younger son, if you don't know the story. But that's where the name came. He was wasteful and recklessly extravagant. That's what the word prodigal means as an adjective. But as Nasha was saying, it also as an adjective can mean uh, giving or yielding profusely. Very generous and lavish. Lavishly abundant. And so as we're encouraging this morning... We think this story is more aptly titled Prodigal God, the lavish and abundant God. And so may we be able to see it that way and live it and experience it for ourselves. This story is found in Luke chapter 15. And it begins with this in verses 1 to 3. It's the context for the story of why Jesus told this parable. And it begins like this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So that's the beginning of the story. And so church, friends, family, I, I want you to take note of this. I want this to seek in to us deeply. Because this little bit in here does not sound religious. It seems like, oh yeah, that this isn't the, this wasn't a church service, but this is an incredibly holy, holy moment in this story. Jesus is eating with people. He's sitting around a table with them. It is holy. He's sitting around with normal people, eating, inviting them to the table, making room. Now the religious people were saying, no, these are the sinners and these are the tax collectors, but this is holy. You can read through the Bible and you can see where you're actually God, the living God who is other, actually eats with people. But in this story, here's what it is. There is a holiness to eating with people. Make a note of it. You can practice this beautiful expression of being in the family of God, of opening your table, walking with people around it, and eating. Whatever you have. Corn dogs, soup, bread, protein bars. I was looking at Jim there, I, you know, so. Whatever you have, eat with people. Invite them over. When you go to the store, get a little bit more. Or ask God to multiply what you have. Let's eat together. 
Invite people to your table. Invite a neighbor. Invite a friend. Eat together. It's holy. Do you get that? Eating together at a table is holy. Open your table. But the parable, this was the context. Jesus was eating. He was opening his table. He was making room. And they questioned him, what are you doing? And so Jesus tells this story. So Jesus told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger, said, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. So I want to pause here just for a little bit for us to understand this story of Jesus, what he has just said. There's the younger son, an older son, and a father, and the younger son has asked for everything that is a part of his inheritance. His father is not dead. But the son said, Father, give me my inheritance. In so many words, we've heard this, those of you who have been around this story, kind of know the younger son is kind of saying, I wish you were dead. It's offensive. It's incredibly offensive. This is what the younger son is saying. Give me what's mine. Divide it up now. Now, that wasn't uncommon. That could have happened. And that's what happened. He asked for what was his. And interesting in the story, so what does it say? It says, so Jesus is telling the story, so the father divided it between them. Meaning that he gave the younger son what was his and the older son what was his. The older son gets double portion. So he got two-thirds of everything and the younger son got a third. Now do you catch this? The older boy got two-thirds of everything and he said nothing. His silence would have shouted to everyone who listened. Because it was offensive Now, within birth order, there are roles. And culturally, within Judaism at that time, the role of the older son was to be a mediator. Was that when somebody stepped out of line, especially a younger brother, you would would say, whoa, hold on here. Dad, hold on. Uh, Brother, come, come to the side. Step to the side. Dad, ignore what he just said. And he'd pull him to the side and he'd be like, oh, you are incredibly offensive. You cannot do this. Say you're sorry. Repent of this. He mediates in order to restore the offensiveness of this. That is the role of the older brother. And for many of you who have read the story in Genesis with the temptation between Adam and Eve, in the same way that Adam stays silent during the whole thing, the older brother is silent. As a way of saying that he's either indifferent or happy. To get two-thirds of everything. Now the father is still living. And the story says the son accumulates it up, liquidates it, and goes on this journey of wild living. Now in order to do that, because most of it's land, what he would have to do is he would have to find someone. Because he can't really sell it now because the father's still living. So he needs to find someone who is willing to pay for it and saying, oh, once your dad dies... It's like an inheritance that's coming. He's going to go ahead and already take the money from that. And those people are then going to wait for the father to die. And so that's what the son does. And everyone knows 
The son has just sold off a portion of that at a fraction of the worth in order to receive right now everything that he can in order to go off and live wildly. Have you, have you ever seen those signs on the side of the road that say, we buy houses with cash? You know, and what they're looking for is they're saying, well, we're not actually going to pay you what it's worth. We're going to give you a fraction of the cost, get you that money in your hands so you can move on. And that's the offensiveness of what happened. And so there was someone who has bought this property and who was standing there watching and waiting to say, when's this dad going to die? Because once he does, we're coming in and we're going to start planting our crops. We're going to start taking possession. That's our land. So that's this context in which Jesus is telling the story. You understand why it's called the prodigal son? That is intense. Now, as I said earlier, this is the story these expectations put on the culture. Sometimes expectations are not healthy of what are put on by culture when it comes to birth order and to roles. But to be a peacemaker, to be a mediator, even Jesus himself said, blessed are the peacemakers because they'll be called children of God. But this is the broken family in this story. So back to the story. Verse 14, so after he had spent everything, this is the younger brother who liquidated everything, he went off to live wildly, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the king, that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him was filled with compassion for him he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him so in the story after he wastes everything the son is trying to figure out how he can get the generosity of somebody how he can begin to live because he has nothing so he's looking for someone who will be compassionate and generous so he hires himself meaning he's going to try to be helpful to somebody who has extra resources so he goes to somebody who has livestock. And he's like, I'm going to start doing things for him. Longing for even the pods. The food of the pig. But what is he given in return? Nothing. This wasn't a job. He was trying to find work. And he was given nothing. No one showed him generosity or compassion. Even as he tried to do well. Tried to make things right. Tried to be like, oh, let me do something for this. No one cared for him. So it says he came to his senses. Which is a word that means he repented. And I loved reading this from Brad Young, who, who was a first century scholar. And he writes about this. He says, you know what the essence of repentance is? 
come home. Come home. Oh. He comes to his senses. And the essence of that is, come home. So he came to his senses. And he makes this plan. I'm no, wor- no longer worthy to be called a son. I'll say I've sinned against God and against you. Make me like a hired servant. And he begins on the journey. And Jesus, as he tells the story, he says, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him, was filled with compassion, ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. I don't understand what a long way off means and how that could be, but that's the way the story that Jesus told. He was a long way off off. There's a story by a rabbi, a disciple, the rabbi Akiva, and he tells the story based on a text from Hosea. This is found in Deuteronomy Rabim. It's this really interesting text, and Hosea says this, return, O Israel, to your God. Come home. And the rabbi told this story. The matter may be compared to the son of a king who was far away from his father, a hundred days' journey. And his friends came to him and they were like, Go home to your father. And the son said, I'm not able. And the father sent him a message Return as far as you can according to your own strength. And I will come to you the rest of the way. Thus the Holy One, blessed be he, said, Return to me, and I will return to you. Malachi 3.7 So on a hundreds day journey, how must one return? <laughs> one step. Return to me, and I will return to you. Come home. And this is a beautiful story of the father. And so this is, wh- this is where? This is where the father really enters the story. Where the lavishness of the father begins to oh, actually take over against the prodigalness of the son. This is where all of us have father issues begin to cry. At the beauty of this. And if all of you cries out, return to me and I'll return to you. When he was a long way off, the father saw him, was filled with compassion, ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. Come home. So the father embraces him, and in verse 21, the story goes on, and the son says to him, the son is getting ready to prepare his speech that he's prepared for his father. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let, a feast, let us have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began 
to celebrate. This, again, is the lavishness of the Father. Does not listen to this speech. The Son can only fathom in some way, some idea of being amputated from the Father as the Son. He is no longer a Son. He is now a servant. There will be a wage, and he will get it. But the Father says, no, get a robe, get a ring, a signet ring. This would have said, oh no, this is my son who wears this ring. And this ring would actually even put the son to have the accessibility to the father's resources. That whatever the father has left, now this son has access to those resources. This is my son with access. And let's throw a party. This is lavish grace. This is abundance. There's no question the one who has just been, who has just squandered away everything that the father had, that the father had, had acquired. There was no like, well, you, you know what? You can't be trusted with this ring. You shouldn't have any more access to any more funds. We know what you do with funds. Oh, you know what? Yeah, you've partied enough. You know, I don't think you really need a party right now. You need to sober up. That's what you need. Any of that? Jesus Looking for an opportunity to tell any of those stories? Nope. The story is about the lavishness of the Father. This is the story that Jesus wants to convey. I'm going to put a robe on him. I'm going to put sandals on his feet. I'm going to put a signet ring on him. Let him know, you are my son. Welcome home. And we are going to throw a party. You were lost. You were found. You were dead. You were alive. Let's celebrate. This is the Father. Now, as you know, the story goes on. Verse 25, meanwhile, back to the older brother. The older son is in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. The father is pleading. This is lavish as well. It's disrespectful for the older son not to come in, not to embrace his brother, not to celebrate. And here's the father leaving the party, going to his older son, saying, come in. We have to celebrate. Well, the older boy wants to give a speech too. And he says this. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you have never, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and now is found. This is how the story ends. Cliffhanger. 
But Jesus leaves it that way. There's something so interesting about the lavishness of the Father. Sometimes all of us want to treat the Father, or God, as an employer. It's easier when God's an employer. Then we get a wage. Right? We do good. God gives good back. We do well. We do bad. We get cut off. Everybody, both sons, see the Father in this way. That this is all about what you do or you don't do. And how many of us, when we look to God again and again, it is about being um, repaid. It's almost some sense of cosmic karma. Do good, God does good to you. Do bad, God does do bad to you. Here's the wage. Here's the wage. God is repaying. What will you do? And sometimes we can read stories and think, oh, that's the case. But it's like, no. That is not the case. Martin Luther, when he was talking about wages, he said this. He said, since the fall, since our brokenness, since our departure from God, our hearts have been hardwired with a wages mentality. We only get what we deserve. We're only worth how well we perform. If we do good things, we get good outcomes. If we do bad things, we get bad outcomes. But God dispenses gifts, not wages. Hey, are you hung up with wages too? See, with wages and employee relationship, either we get uh, um, amputated, cut off, or we get elevated. Either it's what we think we deserve. I deserve to be cut off. I have no part in this thing with God. Mm-mm. I'm done. God's done with me. Or we're saying, no, I'm doing it all right. How come I'm not being elevated? How come everything's not going great for me? Come on, employer. Pay me what is due to me. And I tell you what, you would not believe how quickly I fluctuate between those two. It can be within minutes for me. I've sat with people who fluctuate with minutes of that. God cannot love me and embrace me. Do you know what I've done? Do you know how rebellious I've been? And then how quickly it takes so easy to then within the flip of a switch in my own life. I'm a pretty good person. I mean, look at that person. I, you know what? I'm actually pretty good. We cannot live in the wages mentality. It is about the lavish gifts of the father. The prodigal father who wants to be excessive and lavish us with his love. That's what this story is about. And so, where do you find yourself? May we hear the call of the Father, come home. Come home. For those who felt we've wandered way too far, we don't deserve it, we haven't earned it, we've got to do something right, we've got to fix something. Return, saying, oh God, I've made a mess. One step, and the Father runs. Let him embrace you. Let him lavish you. Let him clothe you. Call you son and daughter again.
Or maybe you feel like you deserve a ton more. The father lavishes the older brother. He doesn't reprimand him, rebuke him, call him a liar, doesn't try to fix his distortion. But he says this, you've always been with me. I want to be with you. Be with me. Be with me. Be with me. Everything I have is yours. So older brothers and older sisters in here, may you hear the Father say, be with me. Everything I have is yours. Nothing is withheld from you, but we have to celebrate. Come home. Come home and celebrate. May we hear the Father call us to celebrate. May we make space for people to come home. May we share the stories of our homecoming again and again and again as we wander and come home. I want to close this morning with an affirmation of faith. This is a responsive reading. It's a holy moment for us to declare what is true about God, who is lavish in God's grace and goodness, and us to say, yes, let it be. That we recognize ourselves in the story and we come home, either as the younger brothers and younger sisters and the older brothers and older sisters. So let's respond in this story. And so I invite you to stand with me. And we're going to read this. This is called The Affirmation of Faith. This has been written. It is a beautiful statement here. And I want you to speak it out loud with me and that we would do this together. And we would say it. It'd be a way of us saying yes to our prodigal father, the God who loves us. So let's pray. We believe in a God who waits in the driveway for us. We believe in a God who leaves the porch light on and throws a feast when we are found. We believe in a God who doesn't stop looking for us when we get lost. We believe in a God of prodigal grace, excessive, extravagant, over-the-top grace. In response to this grace, we take, we hold tighter to each other. We remember that humans are not meant to go through life alone. So we look for ways to welcome each other in, to live like we are family, and to lead with grace, excessive, extravagant, over-the-top grace. We believe that this is our call. Let it be so. Amen. So brothers and sisters, as we find ourselves on this journey, either a hundred days away or right outside the house, Come home. Come home to our Father. And would you squeeze the people close to you who you get to see? Not ridiculing them for how they have lived, but with that same kind of encouragement that we receive from each other and from Jesus. 
could we say, take each other tight and say, come home, come home with me, let's go home. May we live out this extravagant grace together. So we're going to attempt to do that right now. So before you can leave today, we've got 2,500 plastic eggs that need to be filled with candy. Yep. Do you got any older brothers and older sisters in here? <laughs> and we're going to take, we've got five tables out there, and at each table, there's ten bags. And we're looking to fill ten bags at a table with 50 eggs. So each table out there needs to put together 500 plastic eggs with candy in them. Right? And they're going to put them in a brown bag with 50 eggs in each bag. And you say, what for? To extravagantly and excessively and simply and joyfully love somebody. So what does plastic eggs have to do with the resurrection of Jesus? I don't know. Nothing, probably. We don't care. Get over it. It's about loving people. That's what it's about. It's about creating some joy where, where somebody's heavy. And so this does not have to be um, hard. But I want to invite you to take a bag of 50 eggs. We left a little card in there to give you some ideas or some instructions about what to do to invite God and his extravagance and his love, what you could do with them. You could invite some people over and host an egg hunt in your yard or in a courtyard of where you live. You could take them and hide them in a co-worker's office and just leave them there. You could just put them in a bin and take them into one person and say, here's some candy, open them up and eat it as you like. Right? You could hide 10 of them in the front yard of a neighbor and text them and say, I have hidden 10 eggs in your yard. Tom said you could then hide nine of them and only to torture them. <laughs> Right? Make it, make it fun. Make it simple. But it's about love. And that's all it's about. You can invite them to be with you, have a reason to go for a hunt and to laugh. A reason to get an egg. That's what it is. We want to create some room. Some simple room to be those people who say, oh, let's be excessive. Let's be super gracious. And allow the Spirit of God to lead you to whom? So did you hear me? It doesn't have to be heavy. It doesn't have to be hard. It can be really simple. But we long for the excess of God to breathe a wind behind it and for us to move into it. I hope you do something weird and crazy, strange, for our God who does. So I invite you in. So, um, Church, we have got, we've got a few minutes more together. Are you ready to fill some eggs? We need your help. All right, if not, we're going to be pulling in the olive branch when they get in here with these little kids, and then we're going to get, you know, called on us, and we're, the olive branch is going to be shut down, right, for breaking labor laws. 
So people, we need your help for a few minutes. This is a chance just to hang out and connect with people. Pull people around a table with you. Get 10 people around that. Each table needs to do 10 bags. If you're somebody who doesn't want to count and put them in bags, just fill eggs with candy and you can sit there and talk with people. Go around the table. We've got five tables. Tom's going to tell you the instructions again. We've got a few, you've got a few minutes before you have to get your kids. Let, this is called... Um, Worship and action on the fourth Sunday. So let's go out there and excessively love, put it together, and take a bag home with you if you would like. God bless you. Go home. Not really. Go out there.